it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. The uh, the day after, <clears throat> two days after as we record this, everybody fully satiated, got your leftovers in the fridge. Yeah, th- this may have been uh, one of the best Thanksgivings at our house in many, many years. Zero arguing, zero fighting, and that's not only with my wife and I, but... Uh, well, what also he's failing to tell you, folks, is that, in <laughs> he, fact, it just was his wife and him. I was going to say, everyone <laughs> left. He was home. So uh, It was just the two of them. <laughs> no, it was great. We had uh, my parents over on one night, and then we went to visit my wife's parents the other night, and both kids were here. I think what, what made this successful was the ordering of the meal from Whole Foods. Mm. Ah. We, get, we got this phenomenal bird, apple brined, smoked turkey. It was fantastic. Fully smoked. Fully smoked. Wow. And, uh, over, over hickory. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. It was wow. re- really, really fantastic. They don't have it all the time, but it was just uh, kind of a, a heat and serve kind of thing. And uh, it was delicious, and there was no arguing in the kitchen. In years past, I could hide out in the bedroom, and no matter what, I, if I hid out in the bedroom or if I was in the kitchen, I'd still get yelled at, even if I wasn't doing anything. I'm, well, that's because you were doing nothing. Yeah. No, but I was, <laughs> the, I was the scapegoat, no matter what. It, and then if I was doing something, I would get yelled at because I wasn't doing it right. Okay. So, but, uh, yeah, no, this, this was re- really, really good. I will also say, though, it's, I, I think both my wife and I really gorged ourselves because it was so delicious. And then I had a, a, a very uh, dear friend of mine uh, bacon apple pie, which was just phenomenal. This is uh, the annual treat of Thanksgiving is his apple pie baking, and it's just fantastic. Was and it was it a lattice crust? Was it a crumble? What are we talking about? It is a lattice crust apple pie. I'm not sure why I'm extending the conversation on this, Doc, but I'm going to just go. Right. I'm well, hearing about I'm, the pie. Well, it, all, it, sure, it sure beats the Costco pie. Okay, which is not a bad pie. And so we got this pie on Wednesday, and I had a fiend, uh, 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 what is it, uh, field off the animals, because everybody was trying to grab pieces of the crust, and I I had to have it intact for the Thanksgiving meal. Well, my two brine turkeys went over very, very well. I'd like to... uh... I'd like to inform you all. So that was good. One in the barbecue, one in the oven. And um, you brined them both. I brined them both. I brined my turkey this year. And uh, oh. we're, we're now seeing the GB apple pie. GB is showing us the apple don't, pie. Don't leave it here. I don't want <laughs> to look at it. Yeah, we're going to be looking it's, at it while yeah, we're uh, it looks good. talking. Um, you I brined, brined it also, but I, I, you know, I went through and looked at all these different brining recipes. Yeah, it's salt and sugar. Yeah, in the end, <laughs> well, no, in the end, I went to Cost Plus. And you got like a World packet market. or something? Well, because I looked online and people said this is the best brining. Uh, yeah. It's like right. a bag of right. peppercorns stuff. and salts yeah. and spices and yeah, all this other fine. stuff. And it was terrific. Yeah. It was great. It really it, works. You know, the, the it cells. I mean, it, it's. I was actually talking to my son. He's in biology. And he's like, I think we're studying this in biology right now. And he started talking about cells and how salt affects the cells. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. It, it drew, draws the moisture in, all the spices and... and uh, it being for a nice moist bird, it was great. Well, speaking of salts, 
Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the transition is here. Famous so, transition. you know, my, a few, my, weeks, my yeah, a few doc- weeks ago, you talked about yeah. your, uh, your, 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 your analysis test, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my doctor's saying avoid, you know, or cut down the salts because uh, apparently my creatinine levels have increased. Is he saying that right this time? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little confused because uh, it's gone up a little bit. But the other thing that has gone up over this past year is my weightlifting and uh, along with other exercise. Mm -hmm. And the doctor is basically saying that when the marker levels go up, it's an indication that the kidneys aren't necessarily functioning properly. And she's telling me to drink a, a, a ton of water. But I kind of don't get it. I do drink water, and I do drink a lot of coffee, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, what was the creatinine level? Last year, it was 1.15, mm-hmm. and this year, and last year, I think it may have been a little bit borderline, yeah. and this year, it was 1.4. Hmm. Okay. So, um, it really is a jumping off point for overall urinalysis test and then early stages of potential kidney functions that are, you know, maybe need to be modified. I'm surprised, frankly, that drinking water is the is the prescription solely for this, but um, maybe that just shows how mild the issue is, but the doc will tell us. It's very, it's very nonspecific, that, that, that mild elevation. I mean, if your creatinine was three, I'd be really concerned. Um, you know, major kidney failure that you're like approaching the need for something like dialysis, um, which again, we've talked about it before, but dialysis is where you have to be basically hooked up to like an artificial kidney for <clears throat> six or seven hours a day, three times a week. And it wipes you out for a day afterwards. So it kind of kills your quality of life, uh, immensely. You can do it at home now too. You can, but you that's know, even, um, it's like all it's night. Still, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a still, whole thing. it's a still a whole disaster in terms of quality of life. Um, so what I want to say is that that number that you're just, you just said 1.4, it is technically out of the normal range. Normal range is roughly up to like 1.2. Um, so you were borderline before borderline, uh, right at the upper limits last time. And this time you're well, tell it's certainly over it. But the thing about creatinine is first you have to ask yourself, where does creatinine come from? And it comes from the skeletal muscles. Oh, I thought it comes from a jug at the health food store. Nope. Um, what is that stuff at the health food store? That, that stuff is, in my opinion, kind of hokey. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't necessarily think there's been any, I, and a lot of people are going to disagree yeah, with But weight, weight lifters take that, they right? They do. I'm not sure I think it really makes a big, uh, I, I, I don't know, actually. I shouldn't say that. I, to my knowledge, there is no um, clinical basis for it. A lot of that stuff, the supplement industry is based on kind of, uh, anecdotal stuff, anecdotal, meaning like not, uh, a controlled study done in a, in a very, um, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, in, in an organized way at an inst- on an institutional level, I should say, where thi- where some of the, you know, where the recipients are blinded to what they're getting and the and the prescribers are blinded to what they're giving, and so it doesn't really um, affect the, the outcome of the data. Anyway, getting the, back to your situation. At the highest level, yeah, the kidney's function is to remove creatinine from the blood, right? Well, so, so, so let me just say yes, but let me just tell you, creatinine in your blood is not a dangerous substance. 
So when your creatinine is like, if you if you told me my creatinine came back at eight, I'm going to die. I'm going to say, not from creatinine. Creatinine doesn't really cause death. Um, no, but it's a sign of the kidney not doing what not it's doing, doing its job, and it's the other things that the kidneys are doing right. that aren't able it, 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 that it isn't able to do that will cause death. So it's like you know you're like filtering or or controlling the potassium level in your body or the sodium level in your body or the acidity of your blood, all these things yeah, the kidney is responsible yeah, for. Yeah, potassium and phosphorus impact the function of the kidney. Uh, because I, I was it's reading... the other way around. The kidney it, impacts the levels of phosphorus and potassium in your body, and those levels are going to impact all kinds of things. P- potassium, sodium and t- potassium are the most important ions, as we call them, for your nervous system and the most important probably aside from your brain structure in your nervous system is your heart so what you typically die of if those ions are that abnormally you know screwed up is irregular heart rhythm and you die of heart disease because i eat a lot of bananas and avocados and i don't know if i should avoid that but but let's Maybe we come back it's to that. So topic, yeah. So you can, yeah. But the bottom line is that um, the creatinine elevation, yours is is it's. I wouldn't say it's severely elevated, but it's elevated enough that it would raise eyebrows. Um, some people just happen to have a benign creatinine elevation. In other words, it 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 could have to. It's hard to say what that's due to, but in other words, it doesn't reflect anything pathological and how can they determine that they can determine so again your your muscles are continually releasing creatinine in the blood and truth be told you're a muscular guy you do a lot of exercise you could be producing a little bit more excessive creatinine it is true um because muscle activity is what produces it correct correct um but well-functioning kidneys should be able to appropriately clear it take it out so he may have very mild diminished ability to clear the creatinine and why that would be we can discuss um, but there are ways to do um, more extensive testing um, where they might for instance collect urine from you for 24 hours analyze how much creatinine came out in that urine in 24 hours and we call that creatinine clearance okay, okay so let me ask a question about that because every time i do one of these urine tests 24 I, hour or just a spot test well, this is for the physical. Yeah, it's just a spot test. It's a spot test. I am exercising right before mm-hmm. the, test. The, the test. And, yeah. and, and typically what that comprises of is about two miles of swimming in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's that... A lot. yeah. And I wonder if that... If you got that... Well, you're, first of all, let's also clarify on the show. You're talking about your serum creatinine, not your urine creatinine. That test, that number you told me is coming from your serum, which is your that's blood. That's a blood test? That's a blood result. Hmm. Oh, that's not a urine test. No, oh. no, no, no. That is not a urine test. No. That was a blood test, for sure. So which is more accurate? The blood. The blood. Blood. And how quickly, I mean, would that matter that he's exercising right before? It would. Really? It would. I would, even, I would suggest. Even, even in the blood? I would suggest, more so. More, more so. Oh, interesting. So I would suggest if you if you were swimming for intensively just before you got that test, I would suggest repeating the test after say two days of rest. Yeah, take the day off. Jeez. And and <laughs> and oh and be well hydrated. The reason why she brings up water is that it's a rare in a younger guy like you, it's a rare cause of elevated creatinine. It's a common cause in older folks. 
Older folks, their thirst mechanisms don't work very well and they tend not drink enough. And so they get dehydrated and then the your, your kidneys start to, you know, stop working well because there isn't enough volume going through that filtration system. So it'd be like your pool pump running without water going through it. It's going to burn out. Same My with your thirst kidneys. mechanism is going to start to fail. That is that is something that God. happens. Your your what are called the osmotic regulators, That's crazy. which tell you if you need more fluid. Your body's getting too concentrated with with various ions and other electrolytes, and so you got to dilute it down by drinking water. And people don't realize that that's happening. And the next thing they know, they go to the, get a blood test. They're like 85 years old and their creatinine is like two hmm. and they're dehydrated. Or they just may be getting weak and their doctor checks their blood and they realize you're dehydrated. It's too many pretzels. Yeah. You know, I think that, that happened with my dad a couple of weeks ago when he wasn't Well, you said well. he also had pneumonia. He though. had pneumonia, but he was clearly dehydrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, which, which usually happens when you get an infection because yeah. the heat from the fevers you draws off all right. this fluid right. from your body and so you get dehydrated. Tell you just keep yeah. drinking. That's why you got to keep drinking. Yeah, yeah. So in any event, um, what I'll tell you something. I mean, kidney disease opens up a gigantic topic. But I'll tell you, since you are such an exercising dude, um, one thing that I've seen as a urologist, which is an interesting thing, is someone will get referred to me or or come to me kind of urgently because they see red colored urine essentially blood in their urine, right? I mean, that's what you would think. So we do a test. We do the urine test, right? And we do a what's the dipstick. We've talked about this. You dip your dipstick into the urine and it's got all kinds of little um, squares on it and tells your, you- Your dipstick is, or the patient's dipstick? No, this is in my office. We have a dipstick. <laughs> and the dipstick uh, goes into the urine. That was GB trying to cut in with a funny- Joke, Sorry but, if my you know, eye roll interrupted. It, it all, the, we, uh, there was two. <laughs> there were that. two pairs of eye rolls going on here, and one pair that was just delightful with himself. Right, but really in any was. event, he was so and he delighted. still is. He yeah. still is. So you put this dipstick in, and it tells you like there's something called leukocytes, and if that turns color, it suggests maybe an infection because um, it's like white blood cells are what leukocytes. Leukocytes are white blood cells. Same thing. And then there's something that's like nitrites. And if that turns positive, nitrites are suggestive of bacteria. Um, and then there's one that's for blood. There's a bunch of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. And the blood one changes color for this person who comes into my office. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks like he's got blood in his urine and his urine's red. But you have to do the microscopic because guess what? You look under the microscope and not a single red blood cell. So why is his urine red? Wait, hold on. I have a question there. Frosting? Wait, wait, hold on. I have a question. <laughs> Do you look under the microscope yes. or, or it's, sent, it's sent to the I lab? Look under, I have a centrifuge in my office. So I take the urine. I put it in a little test tube. I spin it in a centrifuge, which draws down the sediment at the bottom, pour off the supernatant, which is the stuff above the sediment, and then tap the bottom of the tube to kind of resuspend it in solution, drop it on a slide, put a cover slip over it, and look at it under the microscope. Well, let's it's think very about easy. this. Why, why would it be red? Because as we've talked before, you would need a significant amount of blood to change the, visually Correct. the coloration. Correct. So, so the, the hint that is that blood. we talked about muscle activity when we first started this conversation, and that GB, being a kind of muscular guy, we've established he that, could yes. he could have this. <laughs> he could have this, and this is a cause of kidney failure, by the way. And what is going on is when somebody walks in and they have red colored urine and there's no other real obvious source, like it wasn't like he was eating beets, which can sometimes cause your urine to turn a little light pink. Now, or this is or bright holiday red. red jello mold. Right. But this is bright red. This is bright red urine. Okay. And, um, and so, um, 
You look under the microscope, not a single red blood cell. So by definition, he has what we call myoglobinuria. Myoglobinuria. No, myoglobinuria. <laughs> you added two syllables. Myoglobinuria. Myoglobinuria. So, so what's myoglobin? We know what hemoglobin is. Myoglobin. Hemoglobin comes from red blood cells, right? Um, it could be, by the way, there's two possibilities. It could be hemo hemoglobinuria, which means that somehow red blood cells are, are lysing. They're rupturing. Lysing? Lysing, L-Y-S-I-N-G, means, means breaking apart, lice, to break up. They could be lysing the blood, red blood cells, so you don't see red blood cells under the microscope. It's the hemoglobin that makes your urine red. Everybody knows that, right? You know that? <laughs> Everyone knows that. Everybody knows. That. Everybody. Everybody knows that hemoglobin. They is do red. now. Our okay, listeners hemoglobin. do. I, I thought myoglobin. No. Well, myoglobin. It's interesting. So here's the thing. So myoglobin it comes from your muscles. Myo muscles, like the, heart, uh, the myocardium is the muscle of the heart. Myoglobin is a protein that comes from your muscle. It's similar to hemoglobin, but it's not hemoglobin. And myoglobin comes from your muscles. So what can often happen is when someone does a really intensive workout, so intensive, such an intense workout that their muscle cells start to lyse, their muscle fibers start to break open and release this myoglobin. Wow. And the myoglobin leaks out into your urine. It turns out that myoglobin is also toxic to your kidneys. So myoglobinuria is a very serious what, thing. What when type we see of it, we get, very, we get very worried. And we are like, you got to hydrate like crazy. You got to um, stop exercising. What exercise was this patient doing? And we function, the creatinine level very closely because you can go right into ki full-blown kidney failure. Really? So like when you see it, you can't just say, hey cool it for a few days and you're fine, you have to really monitor it that closely? Well, both. When you see it, you say, yeah, you need to take it easy for the next few days, really for the next week, no exercise, but drink plenty of water, on. and we're going to follow your blood levels to make sure that your kidneys don't go into a full-blown okay. It could do some permanent damage? It could. Yeah. So right. hold on. Is this person a runner, a weightlifter? You know, the times I've seen it, um, it's been like, you know, those programs, what's it called? Like, uh, like P, P, yeah, yeah. P90. That's it. That's it. I saw it once with somebody doing that. Yeah. yeah. What, what is P90? P P90X, I think. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's a full on, I know people that have done programs it. where you go like yeah. full, insanely intense exercise. Every, every day it's a little different, but yeah. there's lots of, uh, lots of stuff. Right. He's looking it up. Yeah. So it's it's an insane program of of intense rigorous activity. Oh, a commercial home exercise yeah. regimen yeah. created by Tony Horton, there developed as a success, successor to the Power Ninety program. Not a sponsor of this program, by the yeah. way. Consisting of a <laughs> in case it uses if they cross would like training. To be, though, I'm available. Yeah. Anyways, so it sounds like a like a high intensity work yeah. Uh, yeah. workout. Yeah. Very. Anyway, it's hard to say. So, but th that's not to be confused. By the way, I was just going on a tangent there. That that elevated creatinine can come from your muscles as well. By the way, elderly folks who get muscle atrophy because they're getting old, their creatinines can become really really low. Like their creatinine levels can go to like 0.4 hmm. or 0.5 because they don't have a lot of muscle. And so one has to take any elevation of creatinine in the elderly folks as more serious oh. because their baseline is typically so low. So if they're at like 2.5, you got to be really, you got to take it really seriously. 
Um, but anyways, getting back to GB, um, absolutely. The creatinine coming from your muscle could be what's going on in that test. And I would repeat the test after a few days of rest and see if it goes back to 1.1 or something like that. Um, I wouldn't get too worried about this unless did, did your doctor talk about repeating it sooner than your annual physical or did she say, we'll just check it next year? No, repeating it sooner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and aside, that's important because she that, wants to make sure that, you know, in a month or two months or something, it's not like 2.1 or 2.5. Then they're going to say, okay, this is not right. You got to go see a nephrologist. That's a serious, that's a real trend and that's getting serious. Is there anything outside of a blood test or urinalysis where you're going to, um, maybe have some sort of symptoms? Cause I yeah. feel like the kidney is kind of this silent it's thing true. going on. And it's true. when you're having a, any kind of kidney malfunction, um, right. or a genetic disposition to something, it, it appears and there's really, uh, Right. You know, you're on a road And, and now you're right to, to, a, to the degree that like some people are like, well, I urinate plenty. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, to see a change in the volume of urine, let's say either direction, you're making too much urine or you're barely making any urine at all. That's a late sign. And that's usually, you're, you're usually having other symptoms before you stop making urine. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like one day, boom, you just stop making urine, but otherwise you feel fine. No, you've had like weeks of other issues. Maybe you're getting swelling in your, you know, hands and feet and you're, and it's getting worse into your legs. And there are other signs like that. Right. But Cause when the kidney's not working well, you do tend to have fluid. You may retain fluid yeah. or if it's, you know, there's two kinds of major things the kidney's doing, right? One is fluid management and the other one is electrolyte management. Like we talked about sodium, potassium. So if, so it could be one thing or the other is more adversely adversely affected, right? If it's a fluid issue where you're not getting enough fluid out of your body, obviously you're going to swell up. If it's an electrolyte issue, it might be like you're feeling weak, you're feeling maybe it's your bowels. It could affect, you could get nausea from all of that. It could cause uh, palpitations, like I said, because your electrolytes are responsible for regular heart rhythm. It's much more... Um, all over the map. Yeah. So um, let, let me ask a question, because I, I understand based on what you're saying why you need to reduce your salt intake, but what about potassium? So I eat a lot of bananas. Is that an issue? Um, potassium is an issue uh, in the setting of kidney failure, yes. So it's like when people, one of the things we look at very carefully is the potassium level, because it's one of the first lethal outcomes of kidney failure. But we're talking not when your creatinine is 1.4, but like if your creatinine is like 4.4 or 5.4, then we're going to be really careful about monitoring your potassium because of Again, like I said, it's not the creatinine that's going to kill you. It's the others. It's just a right. sign it's that a sign. things aren't doing right. So I can, I can continue to eat my bananas. You can eat, continue to eat your bananas, but uh, I'd be a little bit... I mean, again, we don't know what your creatinine is truly doing day to day. We have that one spot check, and, and you're going to have it checked again in a month. I don't know if right now it's actually up to 1.8, or tomorrow it's 2.2. I mean, you know... So I would say if you really want to be um, conservative, you actually should back off the bananas. I mean, if you're eating like one or two every day, you might want to cut that down by 50%. That's all I'm saying. Um, because yes, potassium, when potassium gets very high and it's pretty exquisitely sensitive, in other words, your upper limit of potassium is like 4.5, 4.8 or something like that. Once it gets over five, and the, I know this is, uh, these are 
ambiguous numbers to you, but it has, it's a concentration. How many um, like milligrams per deciliter in your blood or something like that. Once it gets over five, you start to get concerned about whether it could be causing irregularities in your heart rate. And what we'll do is um, we'll get an EKG. Like if you walk into the ER mm. and your creatinine's elevated and we see, oh look, and his potassium's 6.2 everybody's going to start getting really worried that you're going to go into a fatal arrhythmia, fatal irregular heart rhythm where they have to shock you and they, and you can go into heart arrest, cardiac arrest. So there are ways in the emergency room when they see that, that they can very rapidly get your potassium to go down. There's all kinds of tricks that they can do met drugs that they can use to get your potassium level down. But um, the other thing to answer your question, another sign, the, the other thing that kidneys do is they manage the amount of protein circulating in your blood. And one of the things that can go wrong is that the kidneys are not holding on to the protein that's in your system and they'll dump out protein. We call that nephrotic syndrome. When you have all this excess protein going into your urine and a sign of nephrotic syndrome is when your urine foams up. Hmm. So wh why would that happen? Cause that's, cause it's protein. That's like, if you think about an egg white, it's pure protein. And if you whip up an egg white, that's where you get like meringue hmm. gets very foamy. Doesn't taste as good. That's the same idea. It's like, <laughs> it's like egg white going into your urine. I'll take, I'll take the egg white. <laughs> the foamy. That's the interesting. Foamy urine. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. You, we have two kidneys. Yeah. So how does that, you know, how do you deal with that from a, uh, from a diagnostic perspective and is it one in other words it's if you're having an issue is it just with one or is right. it generally um symbiotic so as a urologist we are typically more involved when it's one kidney because if it's one kidney it's almost always a urological issue it's very rare that one kidney will be involved and it be a an intrarenal problem okay so let me explain that between the two post renal pre-renal and you can call it intrarenal, right? Renal being kidney. So if it's if it's intrarenal, meaning it's an intrinsic kidney problem, it's going to affect both kidneys. You're never really going to get I mean I equally. Uh, yes. I mean I guess there's there's it's possible that there could be some what one might call unilateral problems, but typically, I mean for example, you could get a vascular problem. Um, but this isn't so much of an intrinsic kidney problem, a vascular problem, meaning the blood vessels going to the kidney, like the artery arteries that deliver blood to the kidney. You could have a narrowing of an artery on one side and not the other. And if the blood going to that one side is going through a narrow artery to be delivered to that kidney, that kidney could have all kinds of problems. It's not getting enough blood. So. Well, that, you've talked before about one kidney becoming necrotic, right? I mean, if one if one of them just it stops, could be atrophic, it could shrink yeah. and then stop working, right? Yes, for other reasons, for lots um, of reasons. But if that's not the case, but usually it's something you know, that has to do with, for example, the ureter is blocking the kidney, or a stone is taking up the entire interior compartment of the kidney, and so that could be one side. But to have both kidneys affected equally is typically not a urological issue it's usually a an issue that involves the nephrologist so okay mm. so let me ask you a question yeah. if if the kidneys are located in the uh, upper abdominal Flank. area in, yeah. in, on the back side just about where your rib cage ends at your back okay. right, right where rocky went for that that's right <laughs> that's right the Knock kidney out. punch yeah the so kidney punch, right. how do you know if you're having a backache 
Or how do you know if you're having it's an hard. issue with your kidneys? Yeah, it's tough. That is. Lots of people come into my office saying, I've got a back problem. I think it's my kidney. And I'm like, how do you know it's your kidney? It could be musculoskeletal. There are some general um, tidbits. One is that, because um, it's usually going to either be musculoskeletal or some type of kidney. I mean, listen, you could have other things. There are other organs that are kind of in that region that could be causing you pain. For example, your colon is back there. Okay, the colon, um, especially on the left side, is is um, is sometimes confused for kidney pain, like diverticulitis. Um, and then there's, excuse me, there's um, what else? There's uh, it's the the bottom of your stomach actually kind of sneaks back there, and so sometimes it could be like some kind of a stomach issue on the left side. Um, but we're the just, answer we're, you're, we're so quick to think it's a muscle, thing. right? But, but it often is a muscle thing. Yeah. And the way, mm. you, the way you really can, it helps to kind of differentiate is, is it, re, is it um, um, uh, associated with movement? So that helps rule out kidney. doesn't okay. help so much rule out some type of peritoneal structure like colon or, or bowel. So you mean if it hurts and you're just sitting on the couch? If you're, if you're just sitting still and it's hurting and you're not moving at all or you're lying on your bed and you're being perfectly still and it's super painful it it and oh and it doesn't tend to be affected by like deep breathing because when you're taking a deep breath you're moving all your back muscles they're all getting pushed on and moved and and would you feel it so on both do, sides or so one side if it's a kidney pain yeah usually one side got it yeah even though there yeah. are two yeah now, intrinsic, like medical disorders of the kidney typically don't cause pain, rarely, but they typically don't. Um, and and um, so, yeah, if, it's, if you're twisting and it hurts, it's probably not kidney. If you take a deep breath and it hurts, it's probably not kidney. I mean, these are very loose correlations. They're not absolutes. Okay. And, um, and, one, and I guess one last question. When you do go for that P sure. test, oh, well, <laughs> famous last words, it, it, we talked about sort of that, that red color urine, the yep. myoglobin urea. Well, you can have red colored urine because of blood, but right. and myoglobinuria is very rare, yeah. let me tell you. But is it better to have a clear pee or is it better to have sort of a yellow pee? What is is there any is there any type of thing that you know that's one, what I would one, say one is should a, be look one yeah. should be looking at? I would say that's a poor man's test of your hydration. Yeah. Just so, how much liquid you've been drinking. Yeah. I mean if it if it looks like water, you're probably a little overhydrated. And if it's really bright yellow, you're probably a little underhydrated. Got it. That's the answer to that question. Hmm. But, you know, getting to the kidney real quick, let me just say that understanding the, we, we talked before the show, should we talk about kidney disorders? It's a very kind of esoteric subject in the sense that there's so many kind of, um, the, all the disorders that nephrologists tend to work on are on this very, what we call ultra structural level. And what I mean by that is you need to first understand the anatomy, the microanatomy of the kidney. The kidney is made up of millions of these systems called nephrons. And this nephron system has a, a, a little microfilter called a glomerulus, which is like this cluster of cells that are in a ball. And, and a tiny capillary goes through this glomerulus. It's very kind of, it's like a convoluted tube that's shaped into a ball. 
And as it goes through that convoluted, convoluted tube that's shaped like a ball, the blood, urine is getting filtered out. That's the simplest way of thinking of it. And it's caught by another tubular system where the urine then travels through that other tubular system and eventually dumps into the interior compartment of the kidney where you then transport that urine down to the bladder. Now, that nephron system, that glomerulus itself is, is, is prone to disorders, that little microscopic cluster um, that we call the glomerulus. So there's something called glomerulonephritis. That's a, that's a typical condition that nephrologists treat. And the causes of those conditions can vary from, like I said, the myoglobin can, can screw up that glomerulus and you can get glomerulonephritis from that. You can get glomerulonephritis from infections. So you can get like an infectious glomerulonephritis where bacteria get in there. A very common cause of glomerulonephritis is like autoimmune diseases. So like lupus can the antibodies that are produced in lupus that attack your own body, they can damage the glomerulus. Um, and, um, um, and then there are just other kind of, like there's something called, there's a whole list of these things. There's something called good pasture syndrome. I was just reviewing some of them. Good pasture syndrome is a, is a, uh, he's bringing up a list, but I had one too. It's interesting because they talk about, I mean, you're like running them down. You, you've yeah, got it all nailed. There's so many. There's, there's also um, some drugs you can take that drugs can, that can do that it. Can cause it. Yep. Um, but anyways, I'll just tell you, I'll just make a real quick list. Good pasture syndrome is something where you get like a lung infection, like a type of, uh, kids can get this, a pneumonia and the, the antibodies that attack the bacteria that are affecting your lungs cross react and attack the glomerulus. And that, and then you get blood in your urine. That's good, good pasture syndrome. And then there's something called, um, uh, Hennick Schonlein purpura which is like a, which is you get all these spots all over your body and it has to do with leaky, those, those same tubes I was telling you about where the blood goes through, it leaks out blood. All your blood vessels leak out blood. There's hemolytic uremic syndrome. Anyways, you get can, the can, idea. Can we bring this back to my level? It's a lot. <laughs> to me. Can, we, can we talk about me? It's a lot. <laughs> and drugs. Yes, drugs. Like the most common, let me, before you do that, because I want people to know this, the most common class of drugs that causes kidney disease, what we call interstitial, oh no, I think it's called, yeah, maybe interstitial nephritis or acute tubular necrosis, I know what which are say. those tubes that, that where the urine travels through after it's filtered out of the glomerulus, the urine goes through those tubes. We call it acute tubular necrosis where those tubes basically like die and they have to be remade, um, is NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like as, uh, really like, uh, Motrin, Advil. ibuprofen, Advil. Those drugs are notorious for causing um, ATN or acute tubular necrosis. What's your question? Well, wait, well, uh, wait, I'm going to stop just for a second. <laughs> okay. Because this is, this this is, is a, a big deal. People do this yeah, every day. People do this every day. So what, I know Tylenol, for example, is a li liver. Could be a liver, liver problem. Liver. Right, I know. So, you, but I also know roughly how much I can take before yeah. that's an issue. Yeah. What would you say is an Advil? Some people are taking Advil every day. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm saying hopefully not, but if they're having yeah. a lot of muscle aches, yeah, I, especially a, if you have back pain, I think it's kind of a it's a tough one because I mean, I know some nephrologists that are like they'll never take those drugs. They're just like 
dogmatic about it. Oh, they won't um, take it at all. They just won't take it saying, at all. Right, but um, sometimes you hear about this stuff and you yeah. have to take 12 a day for it to really be an issue. Here's, and- here's, here's my, as a doctor, here's how I look at it. If I'm really sick and I've got like fevers and I'm, I'm dehydrated, what is that doing to my kidneys? It's putting stress on my kidneys, right? They're not, it's like, it's again, it's like the pool filter system, the pool motor isn't getting much water going through it. So it's heating up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I'm really sick, I know my kid and I got to keep myself well hydrated. I'm going to limit my, my Motrin and Advil in that setting. I'm going to limit it. And some people, they get really sick with fevers and they load up on that stuff. I would say that's the situation. You see what I'm saying? You're, 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 you got two adverse situations. Yeah, now. Yeah. You're stressing your kidneys with these drugs and you're very dehydrated. Well, what about the runner who just has a I don't, knee pain? That, yeah. You know. I mean, I think as long as, I think a good rule of thumb is you can take those drugs. I would say on a limited basis. I do think it's risky to be chronically taking those drugs on a, on a daily basis, you know, twice a day or three times a day for weeks and weeks or months and months. I think it's risky because you don't know if on one of those days or one of those weekends, it's a super hot day, you get super dehydrated and now you've got dehydrated kidneys. And on top of that, you're taking that. And then let's say you get a urinary tract infection that weekend. So now your doctor puts you on an antibiotic and some antibiotics are, a little bit nephrotoxic. They can be a little bit harsh on your kidneys. Right. And the doctor doesn't maybe realize that you're taking the Motrin every day because you've got this back problem. Maybe he's not paying attention and doesn't realize that you're outside on a really hot weekend. Plus you're taking this nephrotoxic drug like Bactrim. Some of them are really common. <clears throat> and um, next thing you know, you're in the ER because you're just absolutely tanking out and they say, oh, you're in kidney failure. And then they call the nephrologist to consult and the nephrologist looks over everything. And the nephrologist writes in their assessment, like plan, you know, stop the steroidal anti-inflammatory, stop this antibiotic hydration, permanent damage or uh... usually it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a good question. I had knee surgery a number of years ago, microfraction surgery, and uh, the doctor prescribed to me Celebrex, which is anti-inflammatory. Right. Um, but I really it's a wasn't special aware. special kind, though. It's right, but I wasn't kind. aware of the drug. Not the same class as the other ones. Right, but hold on. Let me, let me get Go to ahead. this. So I found this mixture of Celebrex and Naperson or Advil. I mean, uh, what do I you believe. Mean you found it? Uh, because I was trying to relieve myself of pain. Oh, you were taking both? So I was taking oh, both. Oh, that's and, good. And the doctor wasn't specific. <laughs> and I was that's feeling great. That's interesting. Until I hit a point. Yeah, that's not good. And then it wasn't very good. That is not good. <laughs> this was about seven years ago. Yeah. The Celebrex is a special type of anti-inflammatory called a COX-2 inhibitor. Uh, and COX stands for cyclooxygenase, which is uh, an enzyme that leads to the formation of prostaglandin. And prostaglandin is what mediates, which is what causes the pain and the inflammation and all that stuff when you're injured and you want to block the formation of this prostaglandin. Well, it turns out that that blockage, there's different way, there's different prostaglandins out there, different, um, there's different subtypes. There's like, PGE1 and PGE2, and there's all kinds of different prostaglandins. And some of them can lead to ulcer formation in your stomach. If you have, I'm sorry, if you don't have enough of it, it can lead to ulcer formation in your stomach. And that's why people with Motrin and those kinds of drugs can get ulcers. And it turns out that that's the, I think the, and so COX-2 protects those prostaglandins that prevent ulcer formation. 
And so that's why Celebrex was developed, was to be trying to give you the same anti-inflammatory effects without the side effects of like what you just said. Um, I'm sorry, uh, without the side effects of, uh, of ulcer formation. But if you're taking that Celebrex with the other Naperson. one, then you're, it's like doubling up. It still can cause kidney issues. So now you're doubling up on the non-steroidal anti But uh, boy, did I feel good. <laughs> for a period of for time. a period of time yeah, until it caught time. up with you you yeah. switched to valium and vodka right after yeah. that just called it a day uh, so here here was my other question uh many people take multivitamins and i used to take a multivitamin i don't take one anymore but uh when when i would pee and when other people would pee you get this like neon color mm. what's it, 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 is there any issues with this in terms of the body processing these type of multivitamins whether they're they're natural or whether they're, they're man-made formulas. You know, and... I'm, and I think a lot of doctors will be vague about this. I'm going to be vague and say, I don't know. I just don't know the answer to that. Do you, do you take a multivitamin? I don't. Um, JT, do you take a multivitamin? I do not. I, I think it's been really all over the map, the controversies of vitamin supplements and multivitamins and all that stuff. Um, I think that... Um, there is a danger in getting too much of these vitamins. Um, there are some toxicities that can develop. Obviously, there's dangers of being, you know, malnourished and not having enough vitamins. But that's the key word, malnourished. I mean, I think in a first world society like ours, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be vitamin deficient, quote unquote. Uh, the one vitamin I know they always talk about is uh, vitamin D, right? D, right. Um, because it's related to sunlight, to sun. and in a first world society, we're all indoors. Um, so, I mean, I don't take vitamin D supplements. Maybe I should. I know my vitamin D level is low. Um, but then every now and then I'll read an article that talks about problems in getting too much vitamin D. So that was It was the one my doctor told me I should, I take, should take. Yeah. yeah, mine did too at some point. Um, and then there's you the know, supermarket the right quality answer. versus the high quality. Yeah. Is there an issue or, you know, I've heard if you just, it if it doesn't work well, if you take too much, yeah. you're just peeing it out anyway. I feel like it's more, it's a much bigger concern among women because they tend to be the ones who are greater risk for osteoporosis. I mean, that's what the vitamin D is all about, or mostly I should say, that's what it's about. It's about, um, keeping your bones from getting, uh, osteoporotic. But it's not such a big issue in men. And then, of course, if you're an exerciser like you, GB, I really don't think you have to worry about vitamin D. Like, if you exercise regularly, your bones are going to be strong. So, you know, if you don't exercise as regularly like I don't, <laughs> then I probably should be more concerned about it. That's the deal with vitamin D. But the rest of the vitamins, honestly, I feel like in the last 10 years, it's been largely, in the medical community, debunked. But I guess bring it back to the kidney, and I don't know if this is where you're going, GB. Is it, are you taxing your kidneys if you're overloading on the vitamins? That's, it. that's exactly. I mean, it's not something that's at the top of anybody's list. I mean, I can't remember. Because Like I said, when I'm earlier. in the hospital and I'm consulting on people with kidney failure, because maybe they have a urologic issue, but then they also have intrinsic kidney failure and the nephrologist notes there, and I'm reading the nephrologist's notes. It's always, and when it has to do with some type of drug they're taking, um, or even a supplement they're taking. It's I've never heard them mention vitamins. It's always about, like I said, the Motrin stuff or certain antibiotics or even certain blood pressure drugs. Certain certain blood pressure drugs that they'll put you on can be nephrotoxic. Hmm. 
you would say like, why would they put me on that drug? It's the lesser of two. It's the lesser of evils. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you get dehydrated and you go into kidney failure, the first thing the nephrologist will say is get them off this drug. Hmm. Um, Lisinopril is a classic uh, drug. And anybody who's on lisinopril, if again, and and this gets back to GB's question, um, it's a, it's a, it's about additive issues, right? So you're on lisinopril, you're taking, you've been taking months of Motrin. Now you're a little dehydrated and then you get a little infection and they put you on antibiotics. Now you've got like four factors that are adverse, adverse, uh, factors for your kidney function. That's a problem. All right. Well, I think I'm going to go drink a glass of water. Go for it. And stop exercising. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do think it's interesting that you should not be doing that a couple days before your your next blood test. Absolutely. Absolutely. Strongly would suggest that that is not the best idea. Um, It's kind of like, you know, sex. You you shouldn't really have sex within 24 hours of getting your PSA checked because it can sometimes cause your PSA to bump up uh, a little bit artificially. Really? Artifactually, I should say. Is that why my wife keeps scheduling me to have... PSA too. <laughs> I just it's all for humor he's saying that folks because he's worried she's listening <laughs> no, I don't, I don't he doesn't to, want to get in trouble I don't have to worry about that <laughs> she's a fan from afar I like to uh, say yeah. I have one of those too <laughs> well thanks guys uh, right. Doc as, as always this is, it's a broad topic we'll probably come back to it in, in other times as we've actually touched on this little bits and pieces in the past but I do think it's it's something that touches people as they uh, as they get a little older, and especially since there's so little symptoms for it, it's interesting to hear what some of these indicators are. So thank you for that. You got it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. You got it. Have a good week. All right. You too. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.